Jeff Morton with Returning to Eden. I am joined with my co-host, Dr. Dina Dye. Say hello, Dina. Hello, Dina. No. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Hi. Well, today's kind of a special show for me because uh, I actually have one of my, my siblings, my younger brothers, visiting with us. And so he's actually uh, in the room. He'll, he'll listen to the recording, which I'm kind of thrilled about that, uh, as we tape the show. And uh, we're going to continue along the same lines as the last show, what did Jesus mean or what did Yeshua mean? Kind of Dina's take on what did, what did, uh, what, what's what did Jesus do? What, what would, Jesus? what would Jesus do? Yeah, if you all remember, some of you folks that were born 10 years ago will remember back in the 80s they had this WWJD and it was an acronym for what would Jesus do. <clears throat> so what Dina did, she's done a 10-part series, which you can find on her website, foundationsandtour.com, and also on IsraelTV.network or IsraelTVNetwork.com yeah. uh, and a variety of places. And what I always want to do is kind of promote the material because I'm in sync with what she teaches and have been ever since I've met her, really, to be honest, and it's going on 13 years now. I really got connected to Dina about six or seven years ago in Portland, Oregon, and listening to her do her teaching in live. And so we think, because I get what she's talking about, and the same is true for uh, what did Yeshua mean or what did Jesus mean. <clears throat> As I listen to the series over the course of days, uh, it's just compatible with my spirit and all the things that I study. And, of course, we're always trying to return to Eden and return the body of believers, the folks that listen to this program, back to what did Moses mean? In this case, what did Jesus mean? Because when you put the two together, they're doing the same thing. And so, Dean, I'll let you pick it up there, and we'll kind of just jump right into where we're going to go today with regard to the series. Okay. Well, so you asked the question, why did I approach the book of Matthew from this perspective? What did Yeshua mean? And as I was thinking about it, you know, to me, and this may be a Jewish thing, okay, Jewish people always answer a question with, why? You've got to get the Jewish book of why. And so uh, the, the question I would ask myself is, okay, it's not what, what, did, you, what did Jesus do the question I would ask is, why am I supposed to do it? Why did he do it? Why should I do it? Like, I want to make sense of what that means. And actually, it reminded me of a situation. This is a few years back. My husband and I were sitting watching TV in the evening. We had the lights. You know, it was dark. Uh, we did have our front door open, but there's a security screen on it. We were just sitting there, and all of a sudden, my husband yells over, Stand up! And I just looked at him and went, why? Like it made no sense under the circumstances. So instead of him quickly explaining why I needed to stand up, my response was, well, why should I do that? Well, it turned out a snake had come in the house, and it was coiled up in front of the TV. It was dark, and I couldn't see it. And if he would have said, stand up, there's a snake in front of the TV, I would have jumped up. But he just went, stand up. So it made no sense. Do you see what I'm saying? And I think sometimes with the scriptures, they don't make sense, but yet we say just do this because the Bible says do it. And, and it, it's not logical. It might not even seem rational to us. And so I think there needs to be an explanation. I, I feel the same way about our current environment with the, with the virus because, for example, our governor tells us to do all this stuff that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't uh, adhere to the science. It's like she's making it up on the fly out of air. 
And so I'm asking myself, why should I do that? It doesn't make any sense to me. You need to give me an explanation. Why do you say that? What do you mean by that? And why should I be doing that? And of course, you know, she doesn't do that. She just gets in front of the TV and demands. So again, you, I, the church has failed in this regard. You can't just demand people do stuff without making it, helping them make sense as to why you're doing it. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, but, you know, if you do away with the instructions and you do away with the law, it, 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 it's, you know, yeah. it's kosher. <laughs> You're left with That's kind now. Of granted, yeah, there are things in the scripture that'll probably never make sense, and I get that. But my goal is, I think, if we understand the culture, the context, the history, and the language of the period in which whatever is written is written, it will go a long way to advance the narrative and help us make sense. Uh, clearly, we can't follow everything exactly as it was in the first century or going back, you know, fifteen hundred years earlier. But I I'm, don't know about you, but I'm a person that wants to make sense of the world around me. I want to be able to pe give people the, that big picture. And uh, so as a guide, and so I went and I started with the book of Matthew since it's the first book of the New Testament and the Gospels. And as I began just even reading the first chapter, I realized how much connected to the creation story and really ultimately the story of the Exodus which Christians don't really spend very much time. I mean, they know the drill. They know the basic outline of the story. But in Judaism, the Exodus story is ground zero. It is in everything. And, of course, when you celebrate the, the, the Passover every year, you're going through the entire narrative of, you know, from slavery to deliverance. So I, there's a lot of interesting themes in the book of Matthew that really take us back to Genesis 1 and really back to garden language because we have a lot of parables being told in Matthew that are all that are agricultural in nature uh, and the king is telling them and he's telling them about the king so that's going to take us back to the garden so I would say that uh, I want to look at Matthew from the big picture the big drama story and look at the themes of creation and recreation uh, covenant relationship the restoring of heaven and earth uh, the restoring of the king on the throne who will you know, bring order, all these things. And, and really Matthew lays the, the foundation for the rest of the New Testament on how God launches his kingdom on the earth. So in order to really look at the story of Matthew, we have to go back to the first century. I mean, it, it's a very difficult period. There's a lot to unpack. It's quite complex with all the varying, uh, you know, different uh, organizations and elements and, you know, whatever. So it, it's it's not easy, but I really would encourage people if you're if you're going to have any hope of understanding this, you really need to go back to that period of time and start getting a an understanding of how the Roman world operated, how the temple world operated, and how the Herodian dynasty operated. I think too uh, it helps to understand that Matthew's book was probably most likely penned after the destruction of the of the second temple, and so. He's recapturing or recalling events. And we have, you know, we in the Christian world, we tend to think that, okay, uh, he threw a stone in the creek, and now he wrote it down. I threw a stone in the creek. But we have to realize this is 50 and 60 years later that it's a recapitulation of the story, which was common for Jews to do, of the events. And it's an interpretation based on a Hellenistic culture with the destruction of the temple in the backdrop Israel's completely destroyed once again, and so all of these things have to play into the retelling 
of the events that Matthew's writing about, it was a very difficult time. It yeah. was a time of great tribulation, and I'll let you go from there. Well, yeah, and I would maintain really much of the gospel is the story of uh, people who politically and socially resisted against the powers, in particular uh, the world empire, which is the backdrop, the Roman world and, of course, the Hellenism that surrounded that. And so, you know, and I also think it's important, we, we've got to get out of the box that this is the only answer to this question, okay, that there, we don't, we don't examine and research and, and uh, question the Bible just to come up with one answer. That's it. We got it in the bag. We're moving on. And you know as you go through year after year, and you can go back to the same passage and study, and you'll see multiple elements yeah, that you hadn't seen before. So we, want, we don't want to get stuck in the one meaning thing. I, I want to inject something there, because what, what we do is we take the cultural narrative that we have, and, and I'm just going to kind of deposit this. And then we try to fit the story into the cultural narrative that we have as opposed to doing the research to go back and understand the cultural narrative that's from which it's written from. And, and I understand that's why we do all of this. But, but that's what we do into modern religion today is we take a situation and we construct it to fit our paradigm as opposed to uh, and, and then we make it a literal translation that fits our paradigm, our cultural, our understanding, instead of looking at Matthew's situation, right? Matthew, and understanding it from his paradigm, Israel's destroyed, chaos is ensued, and he, now he's going to write about the account of Jesus. And this is kind of what you wanted to talk about on the program, why. So go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, it, you know, any of the writers of the Bible are going to engage their audience. Now, their audience is not our audience. We are not, in essence, their audience. So they want to engage the audience, and they're going to use real information. You know, there, There's a historical element to it. Somehow we manage to just look at the Bible and forget there's an actual history. And most of the ancient historians, I would say, wrote with the idea of a of uh, of bringing sort of a, a moral responsibility there, so that that's always tucked away under you know under cover, if you will. But they wanted to communicate events, historical events, in a way that would allow later readers or modern readers for our time to be able to you know um, learn. It's kind of like a parent, you know, you try to tell your kid all this stuff. Don't do this and don't do that. You got to give them. A, you got to explain to them a reason not to do it, because you don't want them to fall into the same traps. And so I think, in some ways, the writers of the Bible are trying to write to later audiences, even though that's not their actual audience, on how to stay out of trouble. You know, how to walk, how to avoid all these negative influences and the destruction and devastation in your life. And they use the facts of history. They communicated, you know, moral information. But the backdrop always remains sort of political and theological. They're just trying to prevent us from making the same mistakes. And what do we do? We make all the same mistakes, don't we? Don't seem to listen. Well, that's one of the. That's kind of an intrinsic thing within the Hebrew community, the Jewish community, was to hand down the information. And so, I mean, that was kind of quintessential for Jewish writership and penmanship is to hand it down to their children and their children's children to keep the Torah portions alive, to have yeah. the hospital, 
all of these things, yeah. I, I think, are by design because Yahweh wanted a certain people to educate the entire world. Yeah, so exactly. So established that, that's how they wrote. Right. And that's what Matthew, I mean, that's, that's what Yeshua was doing. You know, yes, he was dealing with the time, but he, it, it's timeless. And so it, we are able to go back and look at it and say, okay, let's not screw up. I have a quote here, uh, not complete quote, but uh, N.T. Wright, who I particularly like mostly, uh, but he made the statement about uh, the New Testament, which I thought was brilliant. He said that it's not a maintenance manual so that you know about a particular problem. You know, okay, this is not a car maintenance manual. It's not a dictionary. It's not a list of things you're supposed to know about the faith. It's not an atlas helping you find your way around the world. I just thought that's brilliant because that's the, those are the boxes we want to stick the Bible in, do we not? Like here is your maintenance manual. So here's my problem, you know, open the Bible, stick my finger on, this is how I solve it, you know, without looking at the whole, the whole of the backdrop. That reminds me of the, uh, of the many, many sermons where I've heard the pastor go, okay, let, first let me talk about my three questions. And then he rolls out three different boxes. So... <laughs> I get what you just said in a different yeah. way. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, the, the three-point sermon, you know, I mean, that's kind of what. So, you know, all of that to say, and, and as we kind of move into the, to the book of Matthew, um, Matthew is basically telling, retelling the story of Israel. And it's being retold through Yeshua. We talked about this last time. There are overlays of one another. And so the whole message of the kingdom. Um, now, Yeshua's eventually... Well, in the first century, I would say Yeshua's followers are really outside the mainstream of the Jewish world. I mean, these guys are pretty radical, okay? So there's this guy, I mean, he's, he is saying things that completely upend that world, pushing back, railing against the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the guys that control the power structure of the temple. I mean, he is not kind. You know, serpents and broods of vipers, <laughs> you know, uh, all that sort of thing. And so the, guy, the people that are joining onto him are now declaring that they're outside of that too. They are going to feel the brunt of it. If, if you don't tell the line of, what's, of the power structure that, and you're outside it, you're not going to get the benefits, right? We see that today. And we, we won't go into that. Well, but uh, you know, just, just to kind of reiterate that, this is after Rome crushes the second the temple is destroyed. These, these people are looking at a very bleak situation, and yet they're radicalized. Okay, well, but we're, we're actually talking about the, the period while Yeshua is walking on the earth. So even though Matthew is probably, is, I would say, written later, with the perspective that the temple has been destroyed, Matthew is going back. That thread, that filter is in his head, but now he's telling the story, knowing that, and that that little those that that information is kind of coming through. But as we see Yeshua in Matthew with his disciples, this is this is their reality. They're outside the mainstream of the power, and so they are going to they're going to be punished in certain ways. They're not going to have access to certain things because they're not part of the power structure. Know what I'm saying? Without <laughs> I like today, you're going to be vilified if you follow Jesus. You're going to be vilified yes. if you don't wear a mask. Yeah, yeah. If you, you know, if you are not part of the, the power structure, you are going to suffer. And so 
that when the when those who were his disciples made the decision to follow him, this is a very big deal. Okay, so now Matthew is kind of entering into that. He's seeing it really from that perspective, and so now we have we have two groups in the first century, you know, and which will uh, at, especially after the temples destroyed, move out into the greater Roman Empire, and then we see churches popping up. Now, initially in those churches, you would see the uh, Jewish people leading those congregations and instructing and you know commenting on things, but over time the the Jewish influence wanes and then sort of the the, the Christian well, that's how they see it the Gentile influence. So Matthew is looking at this and going, you know, how do we how do we connect the Jew the Jew and the non-Jew and make this faith the heir of both that Israel's heritage was for the two. And so he was making an effort to communicate with both Jews and non-Jews that you are the legitimate heirs of Israel's heritage, which is pretty profound at that time. And so the, the, the Jews who followed Yeshua and the, the Gentiles were, again, marginalized, and, and very often in the, within the Roman Empire they were expelled from the local Jewish communities. They did not fit in the Jewish communities. And I understand well how that works. You know, as a Jew who believes in Yeshua the Messiah, who goes into a synagogue, you know, uh, that can be very challenging. And sometimes you just sort of have, I mean, so I know how everything works. You know, I know how the service goes. I kind of know what you say and stuff. But I have to be careful because uh, at, at one time, you know, concerned about my family being marginalized because of who I was. Like, people don't really understand that. And so uh, that's always part of the narrative as well. And we're seeing this great influx now of Gentiles coming into the churches, especially in the, uh, the eastern part of the empire in Asia Minor. So I'm curious, why do you use the term churches? Well, I just church. It's fine. Because in time, it becomes the synagogues eventually, I mean, they're synagogues for Jews. It's not. It's not a synagogue. It is initially for the believing community and those of the Gentiles who come in. But in, it's not long before the synagogues are for Jews and the church are for Jews who believe in Messiah. So that split that's, you know, happens. That's kind of interesting because that's kind of the way it is today. It is kind of the way it is today. Yeah, nothing right. new under the sun here. So there is a divide. I mean, you see in the messianic. Jewish world sometimes certain congregations will only allow Jews to be in leadership and right. Gentiles are supposed to be at the back of the bus. So we got nothing new going on here. We somehow managed to continue to replay everything. But Matthew is really a, a Jewish story about a Jewish Messiah in a Jewish culture surrounded by Jewish people. And that is I mean, we get it, but there's there are many in the quote unquote church that simply don't even know that that's the case. Well, and that Matthew became a Christian. In there, yeah, and and, and sort of in their purview. That's he's a Christian now. Therefore, all of that other Jewish stuff doesn't matter. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's been the the box. Yeah, I mean, Matthew of all the Gospels has infused in it much of Jewish thinking. Now, we, we don't have a Jewish manuscript of Matthew. We have a Greek 
So that's, we have Greek. <laughs> so it's okay. Don't panic, people. But we see that, that infusion of, of, a, of a Jewish life, you know, in the book of Matthew. And so, you know, that's the question that has to be answered. That's the, um, we, how does that work together? And so I think that was Matthew's goal to, to br bridge those two communities. Can, can I just add, when we talk about the Jewish life, it, I think it's helpful and useful for us to understand that the Jewish life is what God established in the people in order for him to be realized. So when you equate Jewish anything to, to the story, we're really talking about the information that God poured into these people that made them Hebrew, Jewish. That's, right. that's their identification. And I think sometimes because of anti-Semitism, we, we think Jew is a bad thing in, in the way we've right. been taught. We don't recognize that Jew is the thing that God purposed in order for us to understand who he was. Yeah, well, I'm and I'm speaking in a way to a non-Jewish audience, right. you know. So I mean, do we call them Jewish Christians? Do we call them Hebrew Christians? Do we, you know? I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it is ridiculous. So from our perspective today, these were Jewish people, and that, you know, that's probably the easiest way at this point to. I mean, we do call them, you know, the Hebrew Scriptures, which is what they were, you know. All of them from from. From Bereshit to Reve uh, Revelation, they're all, they, they're all, yeah. it's all the Hebrew Bible. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. I don't it's just it. that the New Testament happened to, we happen to have um, manuscripts in Greek, you know. So it's, well, and ahead. it's okay. That's okay. Ten minutes left. Okay, so where should we go in all of this? Um, well, I mean, the idea was uh, you've got ten episodes. We talked a little bit about your personal history and, and all of this, and but now... Let's go into the very first part of what you did, which if you're anything like me, you can't remember anyway. So, But the idea was, what did Yeshua mean to the Yeah, family? I mean, do we want to start, you know, talking from Matthew 1? I mean, I, want, I do want to say that in the book, the, Matthew's uh, focus was he really wanted to maintain unity in the two right. groups. Like, this is the thing that always you know, breaks down is the unity. And the biggest problem is going to be when the temple is destroyed, like everything falls apart and there's no unity anywhere. And they've got to rebuild the faith with their central institution gone. And so Matthew's effort later, you know, addressing this particular period of time is to try to bring that, um, that connection back, like connect them to the temple, even though it's going to be destroyed by, by, by saying that, you know, you are the temple. I mean, it's because there's no temple. Now we've got to figure out how do we bring a unity between these two groups without a standing temple. And so he's saying, you know, I, Yeshua is saying, I am the temple. Which is what his gospel, his gospel is all about. It's all about taking Torah to the nations. And now there's a this catastrophic destruction and so he's starting with a, he's basically starting with Genesis. And right. Going through Exodus. And eventually we're going to get to Deuteronomy through his language to bring the Gentiles into covenant with God. Yeah. That's, that's his heart. Go so ahead. you have two groups trying to rebuild after the destruction. So you have what comes through the Pharisees, which ends up being sort of the rabbinic leadership. 
and they meet in B'nai Brock and they're trying to, okay, now what do we do? We got, you know, we got our central institution gone. How do we rebuild? And so they have that, their program. And then you have, you know, the Christians, believing Jews and non-Jews, trying to reconfigure their beliefs and, and build their communities without the temple. This is what, this is the perspective Matthew's writing from, even though he's writing about things that happened much earlier. So that, theme is going to be prevalent because he knows that the destruction's already happened and the faith's been blown up. And so now he's he's trying to tell a story and he's trying to be a great encouragement, inspiration to go forward even though he knows what's going to happen at the end. Does that make sense? It makes, I mean, it makes sense to me, but our paradigm has to shift a little bit in our thinking because it's not spreading the resurrection He's trying to recapture the events leading up to why that all happened in the first place. Yeah. Well, and of course, he, I mean, he is able to explain, you know, the whole story and how Yeshua fulfilled uh, it, who Israel was and the hope of Israel and all that. And that's why, again, this, Matthew goes back to retell the story of the Exodus because that is the most important story to the Jews. Let's that, go there because you, you have to... You have to tie that together so in the next show we can keep moving forward. So Matthew starts recalling the Exodus because he wouldn't have known anything about ancient Babylon, but he would know quite a bit about ancient Israel. So go ahead. Yeah, he would, he would know about ancient Babylon. I mean, you know, they were there quite a while, and some of them were really there for a long time. So, you know, they came back from that place. I think people would have known. I mean, there's a reason that Matthew would have, talked about the Magi, you know, coming from the East. Well, I, how East. I meant that was, of course, because that's part of their history, but he, he wouldn't be talking about the, uh, what I'm trying to say here is I'm trying to juxtapose him talking about Buddha as opposed oh, to yeah. Okay? Yeah, yeah, okay. So I find, so the first thing we see in the book of Matthew is the very first verse, which at, when you read it is supposed to take you back to the creation. That's its design. So basically it says the book of the genealogy of Yeshua the Messiah, son of David, Ben David, Ben Abraham kind of thing. You're getting a little squashy again. Okay. Um, so when we see the book of the genealogy, that Hebrew word there is Genesis. So people would have sat up and take notice right out of the gate. We're going, okay, we're going back to Genesis. That is the reminder of that is the, the genealogy of Yeshua himself. And so um, I would say that, uh, of course, the main, the Exodus being the main story, but even I would suggest as we go back into the story of Noah, because that whole uh, discussion about the, the olive leaf in the beak, torn in the beak of the dove, is to me is just one of those fascinating things. So again... Noah, the story of Noah takes place much earlier, was likely written down post-Babylonian exile, so you've got some of these themes in there, and it was kind of addressing the restoration of the dynasty of David. And so that, that emphasis is in here with Yeshua the Messiah, um, Ben David, son of David, like that's emphasized in the very first verse. So all of this we see in the, the context of the dynastic, you know, the, the dynasty of David, obviously coming much later than the Exodus. 
but the but the kingship theme being very important. And so the the, the long story of Abraham coming out of Mesopotamia and the story from Abraham to David, which we'll see farther on down the chapter. Um, it's the story of Abraham's people who will come, who will be birthed, if you will, in, an, in the new David, in the new, in the restored dynasty of King David. Um, does that make sense? I, I'm, I, it makes sense to me because I'm, I'm read on the subject, but I'm just sitting here going, how does the average, you know, modern-day Christian wrap their mind around this? I think that's one of the reasons you did the series in the first place, because it's important to understand their understanding of this. And so he's basically talking kingdom stuff, not uh, uh, salvation stuff. And right. So we have to understand that his mind wouldn't have been talking about personal salvation, the restoration of the dynasties uh, of the kingdom of God. And that's, well, see, I think, what you're trying to say. Yeah, the responsibility of the king, this is what we don't understand. The responsibility of every king in the ancient world, and this includes Israel, was to, quote, save his people. Now that needs to be, uh, we need, that you can't just stop there because who is he saving his people from? He's saving his people from enemies, foreign and domestic. <laughs> I mean, his job was to protect and save his people from enemies. So when he came, but, that's the pattern of God Himself, and yeah, we have to understand that that's not a man-made concept. That's the pattern of God Himself. So when we say I'm saved, what on earth does that even mean? I mean, honestly, what does that even? What denomination you're talking about now? Yeah. So I'm taking it back. The King is the response. It's His responsibility to save you, and you are saved because the King saves you. And we have completely missed that dimension of our relationship with Yeshua as king, you know. And so the ultimate enemy, we could argue, is death, okay? And so Yeshua is sort of making reference to that, but it's the king's job to protect his people. And so typically the king came to power. One of the first things he had to do was, you know, uh, rebuild any breach in the wall to protect the city, from enemies, and you know they always built their cities up on a high place, so they could, they had good defensive uh, structures. I mean, all that sort of thing. Whatever a king would do to protect his people is is essentially what Yeshua is doing to protect us. And so the enemy he's addressing is death, but the the enemy that the kings are looking at are you know whoever, Assyrians, Babylonians, take your pick. They're going to come after you and destroy you and kill you or take you captive, and bring nothing but destruction and devastation. And our king works exactly the opposite. The opposite. Right. Yeah, and that's what the salvation is. So you don't just throw out, I'm saved, because that makes no sense. And again, this is that thing, what did Yeshua mean? He didn't, you know, you don't just throw out a sentence without it having a context. And that's really the point of, of doing the whole series. Well, I mean, and I think that's a, a good place to leave it where we, where we can pick it up again because uh, the fact that you're saved means what exactly? And what did Jesus mean by presenting that concept to all of mankind? Yeah. Uh, why don't we pick it up there next time? Okay, that sounds good. Yeah, we, I mean, there obviously, um, I don't want to go through the, you know, verse by verse of the whole series, but we want to give you broad 
a big picture uh, so that will help you understand really all of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. I think it's key too to remember Matthew's writing to kind of take the instructions of God to everybody. Yeah. He's starting from a starting point, not just sitting down and writing a letter and say, hey, you Gentiles, you need to understand this, and this is how you get your salvation, and you Jews, you need to welcome the Gentiles into the... He's talking about the purpose of the gospel in the first place. Yeah, which was and he knows the end. God. He yes. knows what's going to happen. So he has that benefit to be able to go back and make He's lived through it. Yeah, He's exactly. He's the temple destroyed. You, you know when I'm thinking about that? I'm thinking about a person who would watch the United States of America completely destroyed, obliterated, its people trans, transported to different nations, and then sit down and, and write about that, about how would you write that story and that's kind of what Matthew's trying to do. Yeah, he's preparing the people. That's amazing. Yeah. That's a different way to understand the gospel. Yeah, I think so. Now, let me just mention, there is debate over the dating, okay? Like, we don't, know. you know, we got people who believe it was written before the destruction of the temple. We can't prove it. was writing it while it was, you yeah. know, after took a shower. So it's kind of like we, we just need to put it in the perspective not only in the perspective of the ancient writing styles, in the cultural reality of the world that he lived in, and we have to understand that it's not writing it to us. Yeah. It's writing it to them, hoping that we somehow filter our way through it. I think yeah. that we have to understand that about the writings of the Bible in any book. Yeah. And clearly it's a book of great benefit for bringing the unity between Jew and non-Jew. That's, in essence, its purpose. That's its purpose. The purpose, the purpose of the story of Adam is to restore the relationship between mankind and God. Yeah. It hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. Let's, uh, I want to get kind of consistent on this, and we've agreed to do that. So let's, let's try to do this, uh, not this Sunday, but the following Sunday. We'll get together and we'll, we'll, we'll keep going on your series. Okay. okay, sounds good. Yeah. Thanks like for having me. Thank you all for, for joining Dr. Dina Dine, myself, and uh, Jeff Morton. You can catch us at Returning to Eden. It's a pod bean. It's just to type in rte.com. You can go to her website. And I have a new website that's coming out. It's called freefromfear.us. And what that website is all about is about getting the body of believers to stop living in fear of men and to get back to our biblical responsibility, which is to usher in the kingdom of God fearlessly, I might add. So Amen. look for that website to break, break real soon. It's under development. I, I'd like to thank you all for joining us, and stay tuned. We'll be back.